Hey there, and thanks for gifting yourself these next few minutes. It's important to remember that you're a priority, and allowing yourself even just a few short minutes of intentional reflection can really have a positive impact on the rest of your day. So let's use these next few minutes to come back to center and set an intention for the rest of your day. Welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Woosah. It is a woosah day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. (sighs) Hummer. You're right about that. We all need to take deep breaths. Let it out. Everything is going to be okay. Nope, it's not going to be okay. The Bearcats <laughs> played in the Crosstown shootout on Sunday. I don't know when you're listening to this. You've certainly watched the game if you're listening to this podcast. And unfortunately, our beloved Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team Dropped the game to the Xavier Musketeers from Norwood. What was that final, Hummer? 77 69? Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, uh, it was 77 to 69. I look, hate losing to Xavier, man. I just, it's, it sucks. I, I don't even like talking on a podcast afterwards. We're doing this kind of somewhat a second time now because we were just so revved up and emotional after the game. I didn't feel great about that conversation. My head was all over the place. And I got to be honest, Tomer, I didn't feel terrible about three quarters through that game. I mean, it was competitive. It was close. It was never quite in hand. But the Bearcats were putting on a very, you know, respectable performance. Like I certainly had some qualms with, what I was seeing defensively and certain players, different little quirks, but overall it was an, it was an okay performance and and we were putting up a fight, but man, the last seven minutes of that game were rough. Bearcats seven minutes, took, not in heaven. We were not in heaven. The opposite. We were the we're opposite. We were, we were, we were in Bearcat hell. Bearcats we scored were... seven points the last seven minutes of the game, Hummer. We took a 62-58 lead. Uh, and then after that, everything was downhill. Not much went right. Missed free throws. Defensive breakdowns. Stagnant offense. We're gonna find we're gonna find the silver lining, Hummer, through the first two games. That's coming. Don't believe us. There, there are plenty of things to be optimistic about. There are players who have demonstrated certain prowess in certain areas that we want to talk about that have us excited. Some of the freshmen and sophomores are showing out. We got to talk about that, but it would be, it would be wrong to talk about the positives before breaking down. What's what's what we've seen the first two games and in particular, the Xavier game, because that's good competition. It's a good measuring stick for where we are as a team. I know it's early in the season. I think Hummer, the best way to talk about this, especially given the fact that, 
we're now almost 10% done with the season at this point is to have some overreactions. Let's have some overreactions to what we saw in this game against Xavier. And if you want to throw in some, some stuff from the Lipscomb game, please, by all means, go ahead. Hummer. Overreact for me. First, before we get into the overreaction, let's, let's get something straight here. All right. The Bearcats have plenty of time. 90% of the season left. We're going to write the ship. We're going to get guys being in the right places at the right times. We're going to find the Brandon is going to find the optimal lineups and what guys play well together. That being said, Xavier, on the other hand, has nothing forward to look, look to look forward to for the rest of the season. They are going to be playing in the NIT, which will probably get canceled because it doesn't generate enough revenue for the powers that be in college sports. So they will not be playing for the second year in a row in any sort of preseason tournament, postseason tournament. This was their national championship. You know what? <laughs> That's it. We're moving on because as our friend Sam Elliott says, this game really doesn't matter. It only matters to our hearts, which have been broken. That being said, an overreaction. It felt like it mattered, like it mattered Hammer. After the game, it felt like it mattered to me. I'm having a Christmas ale to just, I need some Christmas cheer in my life. Here's my first overreaction. David DeJulius. I don't even know if this is an overreaction. He is the best player on the team. Does he need to shoot more? <laughs> do, we, do we need to see him being more more involved like i know he's already crazily involved i mean like are we does he need to shoot more can he shoot an outside shot are we looking at a ben simmons situation here where he just can't shoot an outside shot or is it something we need to let get him some more attempts at some open looks i love this first overreaction because honestly it's probably not an overreaction david DeJulius so far two games into the season 10 percent into the season he has played like the best player on the team. And that's from every, every angle you can look at it. David DeJulius and the minutes he's playing is putting constant pressure on the ball handler for the other team. He is fighting through screens. He is diving on the floor for loose balls. He's always the first one to help up a teammate who's fallen on the floor. He's proven an ability to not only facilitate and create opportunities for other players, given the fact that, at this point, I think he's got 10 assists, but he also has no turnovers, Hummer. Zero turnovers through two games. During That's good for he... number one. That's good for number one in the country, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> As the primary ball handler, we cannot speak highly enough of how good David DeJulius has looked. And I think the second part of your comment and overreaction is the interesting part. Right now, his usage rate is around 16%, which is not very high, kind of equal to a, to a role player. And, and all that really means is, is David DeJulius is, is not using a high number of the possessions in a scoring capacity for the Bearcats. I do wonder if there's more in there. Cause when you looked at the end of the Xavier game in particular, Bearcats are in trouble. It's, it's, it's not garbage time, but we're, we're kind of hanging on by the skin of our teeth. David DeJulius was taking it into the trees and finishing honestly, like he's a six foot point guard who was finishing with really wicked high off the backboard layups, touch finesse, those floaters. Oh. He's, he has, he has a prowess for scoring the basketball. And I think it's fair to ask, do we need more of a scoring role from David DeJulius moving forward? Well, let me ask you this question. This to, I'm just going to 
I'm going to compound the overreaction here because on the flip side of the coin, we have Keith Williams who, you know, the points would say he had a great game. We'll get into that later. Who do you want to have the ball in their hands for last shot type situations? Would you rather the Julius or would you rather have Keith Williams? I would say through two games and I'm also let's consider the fact that we have seen Keith Williams for three years now. This is our fourth year with Keith Williams. My personal opinion is that David DeJulius is a, is a better creator. So if I'm thinking last possession of a game, need a bucket, I don't want David DeJulius just because he can score the ball. Cause it seems to be, he can, when you have a floater, when you can finish with complicated layups, when you have mid range, which he has all three, his, his three point shot, hopefully is coming around. Not only can he do that and score in all three phases, he can also create for others. He also has a playmaking ability where we saw it with Rapalus, this amazing two-man game, back and forth, pick and pop. The fact that he can create for others and score for himself is, is why you take him 100 out of 100 times. So you do give it to him last shot. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him. I mean, that's a long way the way, you, the way The way you said it, though, I thought you were about to be like, no. <laughs> I, the only reason I asked that is because here's my other overreaction to this game, because we know Keith Williams, like you said, we've seen him for three years. We, we we're hoping he takes that big senior step, which so far two games in 10%, once again, overreaction, not seeing a huge senior step yet, but it still could be there. There were a, a couple times where the game was close down when we were just in this huge scoring drought where Keith Williams had uh, it's, technically wasn't a turnover but he was untouched and basically lost control of the ball out of bounds. You know, there's, there's the two clutch free throws that, that he's missing to pull us back within two late in the game. All of these opportunities to, to get us, you know, to keep it from becoming what it ultimately did, which in my opinion, this amounts to a blowout. It was a, a late game blowout oh, that we stop. It wasn't a blowout. Nothing about this game was a blowout. We missed free throws down the stretch that, frankly... Late game blow, blowout. Late... Okay. The nit, the nittiest of nitpicks. Hey, that's what I'm allowed to do here. Overreact. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Uh, I, that's, that's where I was asked. That's where that question comes from. Is Keith Williams the guy? Um, is he the clutch shooter? Because so far, I think the other overreaction is, I think we're learning we don't have any shooters on this team. Yeah, that is definitely that's Brandon, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to say this. <laughs> of no shooters. Here's the thing. We have a lot of guys on this team who can knock down three-pointers, but that doesn't mean you're a knockdown three-point shooter. So, when you have David DeJulius, Micah Adams-Woods, Keith Williams, Rapalus Ivanowskis, who am I missing? And on, off the bench, you got Jeremiah Davenport, Zach Harvey, Mamadou Diara. All of these guys, really, all of them can, can knock down a three-point shot. Are any of them guys that where it's just book it, ball swings to them, they're open in the corner? Yup, that's going down. No. Right now, none of those players are knocked down three-point shooters, which is proven to be a bit of a challenge right now for the Bearcats. These first two games, Hummer, the shooting percentages from downtown are awful. Just awful three-point percentages. 
I'm and they're not this. contested. They're not contested three pointers either. They're relatively, or for the most part, open shots in rhythm. You are getting the ball swung to you. There's very few that they're just, you know, a dribble step back. Right. So after going four of 22 from the three point line against Lipscomb, they follow that up with a five of 21 performance against Xavier, which I'm not good at math, but I believe that puts us at nine. So we're nine of 43. We're shooting 20.9% from three-point land right now. So here's the upshot. (laughs) We're not a good three-point shooting team. However, we're definitely a better three-point shooting team than we've been so far this season. We're not going to shoot 21% all season. We're not. We're definitely not. I don't think we're hitting our – we're not not coming back to center yet. I think there's going to be a move there. The The overreaction here is the fact that 23% 23% is just abysmal. It's the second game in a row where basically the lack of hitting these open three-point shots, and, and not only that, too, it's, I'll point this out. We took a lot of shots. We took almost 20, I think almost 20 more shots than Xavier did. We That's why our offensive goals. rating was so atrocious. Xavier, Xavier had a solid offensive rating in this game of 1.08. Bearcats, 0.72. Every possession, they scored 0.72 points, which is awful. Just an awful offensive game. And when you consider the fact that the Bearcats only turned it over eight times in this game, really, really, really pissed. (laughs) I'm not going to go that far. Just a very, very poor offensive performance against Xavier today. And I don't think I would attribute much of it to Xavier's defense, more so our offensive execution. Was it terrible through the first 33 minutes of the game? I don't think it was terrible. The last seven minutes was a train wreck. The last seven minutes, it's hard to, it's almost hard to pin down what really went wrong, except for one thing. And I guess maybe this is an overreaction. Maybe it's not. I don't think it's going to work long-term. And I think you agree with me on this, that you can have Chris Vote and Rapolis on the floor at the same time. Well, I've been beating that drum since before the season. I mean, I, I'm not trying to to pat myself, yourself, anyone on the back about this. Anybody who who watched Chris Vote last season knew that he was not a strong defensive player. He's 7'1, 260, but he does not defend the rim like someone who is 7'1, 260. He's also not a big that is able to get out on the perimeter, switch against guards, continually, you know show out on the perimeter, but then get back and contest at the rim. It's just not in his game. It's not in his wheelhouse. He's not a a great defensive player by any means. I actually have some questions that a lot of players on the Bearcats are held accountable to their defensive performance. And you see lineup decisions and minute allotments given out largely based on how they perform defensively. You hear this about freshmen all the time. If you're Mikey Saunders Jr., you got to see the court. If you want to see the court, you got to be top-notch defensively. Chris Vogt, we're going on now, a, you know, a year plus of, of below-average defense. And it must be the value that he brings offensively, being able to finish at the rim. But I think when you have someone who's that underwhelming defensively, to pair him with Rapolis Ivanowskis, who, again, faces some of the same challenges. He's a far superior rebounder to Vote, which is probably – why Brandon likes playing them together because Rapolis can make up for the rebounding deficiencies 
but he's also slow afoot. He can't switch on the perimeter. He's going to, it exposes the defense. I think Brandon has to move away from pairing Rapolis and Ivan Rapolis and vote. I'm not disagreeing that. So maybe here's my next overreaction. This is, this was the controversy and this is the one that you're going to hate long-term down the road. Tari Eason had a phenomenal game in terms of rebounding. He, he played only 15 minutes and was the leader of rebounds on the squad. Uh, that's in my opinion, a huge accomplishment considering the fact that he did only play literally 25% of the game as he grows and becomes more comfortable with the game. If that's something that happens this season, I could see that being a position to where he would thrive more in a situation with, with rap over vote. I, I don't have qualms with that. My problem with it though, is it doesn't address the here and now we're like we said, we're 10%. Into I don't think, season. I don't, I don't think there's anything we can really do to address the here and now because yes, Brandon clearly, can. clearly likes vote and vote is, is going to be a centerpiece. And I don't, I don't see Brandon unless there's, unless he's listening to our podcast and he's saying, you know what? He is. I'm going to play all the, you we know, have the is. answers. We have the answers. So I know he's listening. Uh, what are we doing to put, what are we doing to different? Are we putting, are we putting Jeremiah Davenport in, in the starting lineup? Is that, is that the overreaction here? <laughs> That's what people might think might be the natural reaction. Given the fact that Jeremiah in his limited minutes so far this season has been a nice positive development for the Bearcats. He, he comes with some baggage. He has a high foul rate. He does tend to have some careless turnovers. Here's what I love. Dynamite energy. When Jeremiah Davenport's on the court, our team just seems to be more vibrant, engaged, just bought in. He's, he's one of those leaders that you just love having on the court. In addition to that, he can stretch the court and, and do some of the things that, um, well, he doesn't clog the paint with the, the, way that, the same way that Rapolis does. Here's the reason I wouldn't start Jeremiah Davenport, though I would play extended minutes with him and vote or him and Rapolis vote. As we've discussed is a bad rebounder. He was a bad rebounder last season. He had one rebound in 32 minutes against Xavier. I mean, how is that possible? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you're talking about getting taken the task about defense. How is our seven foot one center not being taken the task about rebounding? Like that should be like your forte at seven feet tall is grabbing the ball above everybody else's head. <laughs> like, like, I'm no, sorry. I, like, how are we not taking him the task on rebounding? Like, how, how's that not, not a thing right now? Well, he is. And we, and we talked about it last season. It, people in the media have noticed it. His rebounding was, was criticized quite a bit. Brandon was quoted after the game saying, I mean, Chris vote is seven, one for him to have one rebound. That can't happen. I just, agree, for the, just for clarity, I did not read anything that had to do with the press conference afterwards. <laughs> well, I'm only catching up, but I, I will say I, I agree, which is why the guy you got to start. Uh, let me let me back up. Here's my suggestion for John Brandon to get this thing making more sense lineup wise. We have to we have to stagger vote and Rapolis a bit more. At this point, I'm accepting the reality that John Brannon insists on Chris Vote starting, right? We've, we've seen enough. Chris Vote played more minutes in this game than any other Bearcat. John Brannon clearly sees him as a centerpiece for the Bearcats. I may disagree, but let's accept that reality. So 
we're bringing Rapalus Ivanowskis off the bench. He's been one of the better players for the Bearcats. This is instantly going to seem controversial to anybody who's listening, but stick with me. By moving Rapalus to the bench, we are in his place inserting much maligned Mamadou Diara. I know. I see your face, Hummer. Your face represents the Bearcat fan base at large. Nobody believes in Mamadou right now. His play has seemed enigmatic at best. He did have a nice, you know, drive from the three-point line and finish earlier in the game. But here's what bringing Mamadou in does. A, he has a defensive percentage, defense, defensive rebound rate of 20%. Is it Rapalus Ivanowskis 32%? No, but it's significantly higher than the 7% rebound rate of Chris Vogt. So I think he can help supplant some of the rebounding challenges that Chris Vogt presents. He obviously can stretch it out the three. He's a very low usage player. All of a sudden, the lane is not nearly as clogged on offense. And defensively, he is someone who is clearly athletic enough to switch on the guards and make up for some of the make up for, for plays that have broken down and help protect the rim. That's our best bet. After that, the benefit of bringing Rapalus off the bench is that he is a far superior scoring punch off the bench than we have right now. Zach Harvey got four minutes. I was hoping Zach Harvey would be that offensive spark plug. It looks like we're heading toward a place where Zach Harvey is inconsistent at best. Maybe he works his way into, into that six-man scoring threat off the bench. But if not, by moving Rapalus to the bench, you can begin staggering the minutes of him and vote. You're hopefully convincing him to play a bit more of the center role. He's a great rebounder. And frankly, you probably get closer to, you know, Rapalus at 25 minutes a game. Vote comes down from 32 minutes a game to 25 minutes a game. That's my that's my perfect world. The solutions here, since he slang and just came up with it. You're welcome, John Brandon. I hear what you're saying. And, and let's let's also be clear. When you're moving, like starting, it doesn't necessarily, it has maybe a prestige to it because it's perceived that, oh, these are the five best players. That's not always the case. Sometimes the sixth man is more important than the fifth person starting on the, on the, on the lineup. You know, that, that person's coming in, bringing a certain type of energy with them. They're, they're bringing something uh, that you need because there's, there's a change that needs to happen on the floor. Um, so you need that person to be very versatile as well. So you don't want really just a, a one-man tool one that only has one arrow in their quiver. You want someone that can come in and play a multitude, especially in today's game and in the game Brandon's playing. We're not playing a traditional – we're not playing traditional basketball. We're kind of – except for Chris Vogt, we're playing almost positionless basketball uh, where you see multiple people handling the basketball. I mean, we – I mean, DeJulius is clearly the, the, the four general. He's the point guard bringing, bringing the show up. But we saw a, a magnitude of two, two tandem guards walking the ball up the floor. Uh, all, all game, but I'm actually thinking, I still like the idea of Al- Ivan Alsek coming off the bench, but I actually do like starting Davenport because he just, he's just bringing this energy right now. And he's bringing this in. And, and I, let me get tangible here and not just, you know, getting these coach metaphors, but his defensive he's bringing, when he comes onto the floor, the, the way he's playing defense to me, he's playing like the Julius he's bringing, he's leaving it all out on the court right now. And I think he's playing himself into more minutes. I think he can play himself into that starting role and have Ivanowski's coming off the bench to be that six man. Brandon knows exactly what he's getting from Jeremiah Davenport every game. Is he a perfect player? No, we've, we've talked about the turnovers. We've talked about the foul rate. 
But the reality is Jeremiah Davenport is the same exact guy every single day in practice, every single game. He's enthusiastic. He's energetic. He's, he's the most confident player in the building. We joked about it last season that nobody on the Bearcats roster, including Jaron Cumberland, was as confident in their abilities as Jeremiah Davenport. I don't think uh, I that appreciate- Memphis game, that Memphis, that Memphis game, that fool forever. It's just forged into my memory. <laughs> I didn't appreciate it enough before the season already. I, I'm, I'm self-correcting on that. Jeremiah Davenport has a role, a, a key role on the team, just based on those abilities and the fact that he's six, seven here's I'm looking at the stats. I'm I'm thinking about it. What I just said and starting mama doing look, he, I'm, I'm not happy with how mama do started the season. I had higher hopes. It is what it is. You're here's what you're right about. I'm looking at, at, at our breakdown roster breakdown here. Here's the, I want you to guess for me, guess the three Bearcats with the best defensive rebound rate on the team. Kari Eason, Rapos Ivanowskis, and DeJulius. <laughs> You've got the stats open, you son of a bitch. But you're right. Okay. All I actually, uh, I don't have the season stats up. <laughs> I only have 5% of the stats up. <laughs> so, Tari Eason does have the best defensive rebounding percentage on the team. Behind him is Rapolis Ivanowskis at 32%. David DeJulius, our six foot nothing point guard, has a 25% defensive rebound rate. Dude, which he's is, a madman. He's all over the court. He's everywhere. I was trying to think. He's omnipresent guard, on the court. Well, what Bearcat point guard do we have to go back to to see a guy rebound like this? And I'm not talking about six, five, six, six point cards. I'm talking about a guy who's six foot nothing who rebounds like this guy. Was it five? I thought it was five ten on a good day. It's probably he's, he's listed officially <laughs> at six zero, but you, I know. No, no, I, I, talking, I think the guy you're maybe you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the last point guard I could think of was Teron Barker, which is a deep cut. He's he was not an offensive, you know whiz by any means but bulky kind of football player ish might have been a football player uh but rebounded the hell out of the ball that's that's a bit problematic that those are the best rebounders on the team it's a bit problematic that uh chris vote has one of the worst rebound rates on the team that's just that's unacceptable especially considering how close he is to the rim almost at all times uh but i do think it lends credence to your idea which is if Tari Eason can get more comfortable on the floor right now, it doesn't seem like he's moving at full speed all the time. It seems like he might be a little bit unsure of himself. He's had some, some pretty questionable turnovers at times as he gets more experience. I'm expecting the game to slow down for him. And if he gets more in, in line in terms of defensive rotations, if he's not getting in foul trouble, if he starts finishing layups, he struggled with layups today, but his rebounding ability and his athleticism would be perfect in a starting role with either Rapolis or Chris vote. So I do agree with your sentiment that let's bank on Tari Eason, maybe by the end of the season, getting comfortable and being able to take on more minutes than he is right now. Well, let's, let's, let's be real. We don't even have to uh, overreact on this one. It's very clear that freshmen have a role in this team. It's very clear that they're going to be playing this year. They're going to be playing in big games. This is it's, it's evident if you just watch this game, this was a game that Brandon did not go deep into the bench. We did not see Gabe Mason come, come off the bench. We, there were guys who did not play this game. We are going to start seeing freshmen play their way into significant roles on this team. And it's all about, I don't think Brandon, 
if Brandon proved it last year, Mike Adams Woods freshman played his way into the starting role, right? There is a way that players can play their way into the starting role. I do see Jeremiah Davenport being the player that's going to play his way into one. I think Tari Eason can do it too. Now, because at the end of the day, we actually saw this last year. I know that we're, we're talking about a shoulder injury with vote. You know, we saw towards the end of last year that vote kind of, it's hard to say because he was injured now that we know that, that he played his way out of a starting gig, but we saw more effective use started seeing more effective usages of, of other players at center towards the end of the season. Right. Well, right now I, I agree. I think that John Brand improved last season. He's willing to, to kind of mess with lineups. He did take Chris McNeil out and put Micah Adams woods in. I would say that was, that was more obvious of a decision than we're talking about this year. What we're talking about is probably more controversial and frankly, unlikely. I don't think he's going to take Rapolis out of the starting lineup because Rapolis is one of our best players. He's definitely pretty, pretty reliable or pretty flexible in terms of what he can do on offense. You can post him, you can stretch him to the, to the three point line. I just think when he plays with vote, he has to be an outside player and he's better down low. Like he's more creative. I think we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of his passing. So if we could get him more as a feature big on the block, I think we're, we benefit from that. And that only happens if he's not playing with Chris vote. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he could, he could continue starting Rapolis and just tweak the substitution pattern so that after that start of the game, Rapolis and vote are basically offsetting each other and not paired up as much. I would say the two biggest runs we saw against Lipscomb and now against Xavier, when we were flying up and down the court against Xavier, it wasn't with two bigs. It wasn't with Rapolis and Ivanowskis. It was with, I think, Chris Vote and Mamadou Diara. Even though Mamadou wasn't necessarily contributing at a high level and he looked a little bit all over the place, the lineup functions better. The guards were playing better. Lanes were opening up for the guards. So even if he doesn't look statistically like he's doing all the, the best work or that he's not operating at his highest level. He's probably not, but just his pure presence makes it a bit easier for Chris Vote, or it makes it easier for Rapolis or it makes it easier for our guards. That's all I'm saying. One of my favorite lineups that we ran out today was, uh, and granted, this is not a long-term lineup. Let's, let's be real when I say this. I do not expect this to ever this season be the starting lineup, but I loved seeing Saunders, Micah Adams-Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, Tari Eason and Rapolis on the court all to, in that particular lineup. They played fast. They played great defense. Um, you got to see, and this, this is just me being, I guess, a, a fan of the freshman. You got to see the the chemistry. I think that you've, that Mike Saunders and Tari Eason have, have developed. Um, I think it's given us a preview of what's, of what's to come later on down the road as they get more comfortable in the system. Um, that Oh, that, I was excited. <laughs> they were, I thought they played really well for the limited minutes that they were in. I thought Saunders played really well for how, for the 10 minutes that he was in. Oh, excellent defensively, honestly. Like, he, he was a spark plug in terms of how the ball pressure he put on. He looked calmer on offense. He's not ready yet quite offensively to be the creator that I think he can become. Clearly, his jump shot needs work still. He, he threw one up, one three-pointer up in the second half. That was – it was a clang. I think that might've been one of his first ones though. I'll, I'll give him the jitters, but no, you're, you're all right. I don't think he's ready. He's not ready. Today. He's not ready. 10 Let's minutes, do, 10 minutes, 10, 10 minutes, minutes was perfect. perfect. I love they're exciting. The two of them, it, it, you can see what the future brings. And that's probably one of the reasons we should be optimistic leaving the game. Look, I'm going to throw out one more overreaction. Then we can talk about why 
I still have optimism about the, about the season. I'm not going to sit here and, and get doom and gloom over the second look, game. Look, at the end of the day, we're not Xavier fans, okay? This game didn't matter. We got a whole season to play to get, and we're getting in a tournament. We're going to win our conference. <laughs> All right? Great. Xavier's not going to make the tournament, so they can they can take this in and blow this win in, oh, oh, out of proportion, and we can go and talk about how we're going to how we're going to dominate the rest of our league. So my final overreaction here, and, and frankly, I think this might be my only overreaction. I, I'm not sure it's an overreaction. Let's call it an overreaction, though. Keith Williams is doing too much. Through two games, I would say Keith Williams is, is just doing a bit too much. Keith Williams is a really, 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 really good player for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Last season, he was invaluable. He was a critical piece of a team that ended up tying for the conference championship. They were co-winners of the American athletic championship in no small part because of Keith Williams. Here's what I've noticed so far though. We're two games in, it's a small sample size. His usage is way up. He's got the 27th highest usage, I think in the country. That's obscene. That is not his strength. This is not a guy that you give the ball to is in a Cumberland esque way to say, all right, go get a bucket or create one for someone else. That's to Julius. Not, We've already discussed that. <laughs> well, that's it's definitely more so to Julius, but with Keith Williams' usage up that way, it just tells me he might be pressing a bit. I know he wants to be a scoring threat for the Bearcats. I think he can. He needs to continue doing it in a way that's harmonious within the offense. This isn't going to look like it did in the past with, uh, with you know Mick Cronin teams or even last season with Jaron Cumberland. This is going to be more democratic. We we. We previewed it that way with the season, but honestly, when you consider the options of vote, Rapolis, Micah, Keith, uh, David DeJulius, each of these guys you would expect to get around 10 shots a game. It just seemed, at least in the Xavier game, and then even when he was on the court, not in foul trouble against Lipscomb, Keith Williams was forcing it a bit offensively. To me, the way Keith Williams ascends and takes that leap his senior year has less to do with his ability to go one-on-one and create and be a, be a high, high volume score for the Bearcats. That's not what we need. What we need from Keith Williams is timely scoring offensive rebounds. When you do have an opening slash kick, create for someone else, finish at the rim. Some of those drives he had against Xavier today were dynamite. They were, they were great. He was drawing fouls. He did miss some layups. Those are going to go in the future. But in addition to that, and where he has been lacking through these first two games, the defense has been bad. Bad defense from Keith Williams. Matador defense from Keith Williams. He was letting Scruggs drive <laughs> by <defense>. him <laughs> at will in this game. Honestly, it's maddening because he doesn't have to. We know he has the ability to be a shutdown on-ball defender. The takeaway from this, from these first two games, from the 10% of the season, Keith Williams can be a star for the Bearcats, but it starts for, with him being top level defensively. I'm not going to disagree with that because the first four minutes of this game, Keith Williams was brilliant. Except for one turnover. Sorry. He was, he was good. <laughs> no, he <laughs> but was... I mean, for the first five, four or five minutes of this game, he was, it's exactly the Keith Williams you want. He took, took an open three pointer, made it the first playoff, the game dunk brought the energy then he missed a free. Uh, he missed a three pointer and one that probably he shouldn't have taken because it was it was off. It was I, I guess you could say off the dribble. You know he was contested. He looked like he he, he jump faked, got hump fake, got the guy in the air, took a dribble, and instead of driving to the lane when he had the opening, he pulled up for a three. And that's not his game. 
you know, that's, that's not his game. He, and you pointed this out perfectly. That's where he should have, you want to see him take two or three more dribbles into the lane, see if the lane collapses on him and then kick it out to someone who's wide open for a three. He's at his best in rhythm. putting relentless pressure on the defense. And he did at times in this game. It, it blows my mind how easily he can get by his defender. He was drawing fouls. I know he had a, he, he actually got bailed out with a foul late in this game. That could have been a turnover, but the point is he has the ability to attack like no other Bearcat on this team can. We need that from him. We don't need Keith Williams pulling up off the dribble for three. That's just, that's not his, his forte. It's not his strength. It's not what the Bearcats need by collapsing the defense, putting pressure on them, drawing fouls. We're in much better position. And then for the love of God, please make free throws. And that applies to everybody because the five free throws missed in this game were all in the final seven minutes. Keith Williams, front end of a one-on-one. Mamadou Diara, front end of a one-on-one. Micah Adams-Woods, one of two. And then Keith Williams, O of two. Brutal. Just brutal. <sighs> are, we, are we done overreacting? We're done overreacting. I have a sense. My, my Were those gut even tells overreactions? Me, Probably not, but we, you know, it gives us a, it gives us cover. Let's be let's be honest. It gives us an out. <laughs> what do you mean? I, I told it, you I was overreacting. So here's here's what I love, Hummer. It's a tough loss to Xavier. It's it's hard not to feel down in the dumps about what where this team's going, especially because the Lipscomb game was pretty frustrating too. There are there's a there's still a lot of reasons to be hopeful for this team. I think a lot of it hinges on John Brandon figuring out lineups and how to stagger people properly. But I love, and, and the backcourt, David DeJulius, Micah Adams-Woods, Keith Williams, obviously what Mike Saunders is doing. If we can get Zach Harvey humming, this team is going to be very, very good. And if the three-point shots, I'm not, I, look, I'm telling you now, we're not going to be an elite three-point shooting team this season. But if we can get to a normal percentage, a normal bad percentage of 32, 33%, we're going to win a lot of games. It is. We're just going to do it. And let's let's be clear. I, I don't know. Maybe this is the last overreaction. I feel like this is something the team needs because it seems like we we need someone with a sh- who can shoot, and we know that Zach Harvey has a pure stroke. High arc. I don't we know if it's need- pure. Do we know it's pure? We've seen we've seen some we've seen some examples of where he he can. We Making know he has the a shot is not proof. We know he has a Do jump have, shot. He was said to have a jump shot coming out of high school, as was as were all of these guys. That doesn't well, mean you're like a pure shooter. I don't know if we, we have a pure shooter. Maybe Gabe Madsen. We think Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen. Those guys have that potential. Those are the only two pure, pure shooters I know about. That uh, this is just this is just what we heard. Zach Harvey, we need him to do well. We need yeah. him. We need him to to do well. We need him to earn the minutes and get on the court, get develop, get some development, uh, because he does. He is a talented player, and we need to see that consistency coming from him because that's a that's a player that you want on this squad. You know, it may not seem like it today, playing only four minutes that's not a good sign if he's playing four minutes consistently in every game for us. That's that's, we really want to see him trend the other direction Uh, because at the end of the day, this team is really young and we need, we need the guys who have the experience, even if it's only a year, those are the guys we need to step up. That's why I'm excited about seeing Davenport joining the likes of Micah Adams woods as a second year player, 
you know, kind of coming into their own, embracing the role that they're, that they're being tasked to carry out. And I want to see more of those second year players embracing their role, being a part, being an integral role of this team. Um, because it's only going to carry us much further because look, I'm excited about this year, but if there's anything I've learned so far from watching these freshmen and the sophomores that we have is it's going to be a lot, we're going to have a lot of fun watching this team for many years to come. A lot of exciting talent. I, based on how I felt watching that Xavier game, based how I felt losing the Xavier game, I just love Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. Honestly, it feels so good to have it back. I'm so thankful that they've managed to figure out a way to play games despite the the ongoing COVID situation. Why do they have the players on the on Cincinnati's team, like on your own squad? Why do they have the tear, chairs sitting six feet apart? <laughs> like I'm I'm well, just I'm just gonna point out some weirdness here. Like you're not wearing a mask while you're playing. You're obviously interacting with your team. Yet everybody, and then you you, put, you practice together. Why are you so? Why are we being dumb? Just let them sit together. Is it as simple as optics? I mean, they did the same thing in the, excuse me. They did the same thing in the NBA. They're I don't know why. Masks. I guess well, it's not the game. Like Gabe Madsen was wearing a mask throughout the game. No, I get Gabe that. Like, doing the same thing. Just, they're just being safe. They, they pra- they they're going to practice tomorrow. They're yeah, going to be practicing tomorrow on the court together. Not wearing a mask. Well, they have, I think they practice in masks. We saw highlights of them practicing in masks. Do they? Probably not, the, uh, probably not all the time. I don't know. Take the, the precautions. Only- <laughs> I love watching them play. I'm happy Bearcat basketball is back. Look, stick with them. I believe. I still believe. I'm a little bit frustrated. Uh, we, I just want to see it. Like J- John Brandon, can, can we just win some games decisively? I know you're not going to do that against Xavier necessarily, but when we play Furman, can we, can we just beat Furman down? Can we just decisively win that game? Throw a hundred down, waste the forty percent from three pointers on this game. Let's just bury them. Uh, but Coomer, well, let me say one more thing, Hubbard. And this is about John Brandon because we put a lot of talk into the players. I'll say this about John Brandon from his first year now plus. Defensively, we are not elite. We have not been elite. I would say the numbers grade out better than they do offensively. Here's the thing about the offense. Offensively. From an aesthetics standpoint, we look different. The ball is moving around faster. Cutters. We see guys moving without the ball. We've seen some dynamite possessions. Here's what's not happening, though. From a production standpoint, our results are not all that different from what we saw with our previous regime. Offensively, we're not. it is not clicking yet, and it has not clicked yet in the John Brandon era. We need that John to turn around. John Brandon's era also depends, in my opinion, just a, a lowly podcaster's opinion, on hitting your open at a reasonable clip, your three-point shots. His he's all about hitting high percentage shots and then the three-pointer. If you're not hitting the three-point shot in his system, it's not gonna work. <laughs> but that's what Bob Huggins used to say. That's what Mickey Cronin used to say. If we just make some shots, well, guess what? You have you have a hand in that. In terms of coaching, in terms of training, in terms of practice. Well, that's what I'm saying. Who, like, who if we recruit, want to see why it's not working, these are the choices you make. No, it's not working. Um, and you I'm might just have saying, to adjust it, it looks different. The results haven't been all that different yet. We needed to click in. I'm we. I'm hoping. I'm. I'm wishing. I want to see that John Brandon offense click, and I want to see us, you know, operating at a different a different sphere. I I I I still have faith that it's going to click. I'm not losing the faith, but. 
I would also be remiss if we end the conversation. Like, I, you know, we do have, we're talking basketball. We're, we're down in the dumps. Well, we're, we're upset. We have a really big game on Saturday. In yeah, football. Right. Ooh, yes. Bearcats take on Tulsa, who have risen into the ranks. Four spots this week. Number 18. Another chance. Is that in the AP? Because the playoff that, rankings come out when? Tuesday? That's, that's the AP. They're 19 in the coaches poll. Look, here, here's the reality of the situation. And this is, I'm fine. Here's another, just I'm emotional overreaction. It sucks. I think the playoff race is all but finished. Well, we uh, should hit on that. We, there was, a, we've had two weeks of no Bearcats football, but a lot of football happened in between. And a lot of it was not good for Cincinnati Bearcats in terms of the college football playoff. Yeah. So the biggest, well, the biggest thing is that Ohio state did play their fifth game. The big 10 has also said that they will basically change the rules if they have to cancel against Michigan Correct. next week. I told you that would happen. So Ohio state will be in the big 10 championship either way. I still think that's some, you know what, this is where if you have kids cover your ears, I think it's bullshit uh, that a team only has to play six games um, or seven games to be considered uh, the best and best in the land. Um, but whatever it is, what it is. Um, I do though, I did hear some interesting things in the, in the car this morning from some talking heads that they are almost convinced that the committee will not put in to ACC teams. So it's, they, they are convinced that it will be either Clemson or Notre Dame. Uh, so they're, but either way, I still think we're, we're screwed in that regard because Texas A&M is going to take that fourth spot from us. I don't think there's going to be some altruism from the, from the committee, even if we were to beat Tulsa twice, twice in a row. I think there's, I just, I think they stacked, it's too stacked against us. And I, I did hear something interesting, or this was Kurt, Kurt Herbstreit's take on the college football playoff. And it's almost like he's not a fan of it because of exactly how we're feeling about it. It's almost like the season doesn't matter if you're not in the playoff. And, and as I'm hearing him say this, I'm like, well, Kurt, why, why don't you, why don't you be the, the biggest foot talking head in football to push for an expanded 18 playoff? Because the eight teams gets enough of the top 25 in that that eighth spot is easy to fight for. You know what I mean? You got someone sitting in the top 10 at six and two, you know, you got Cincinnati at eight. No, you got Miami at eight and one Indiana six and one. You get a lot of teams that are down there that have those one losses that can be fighting for that spot, but we're so hung up. And, and then people want to say that the, the playoff was, was designed to create more controversy. Does anybody remember the system before this? It was called the BCS bowl game system. We all argued over who was one and two and who was going to the, the other, the other, the other bowls. It was the same argument. The only difference is if you get into the BCS bowls, now you get a chance to play in the playoff or in the, in the championship game. It's the only difference that we have now. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you hear someone like Kirk Herbstreit even saying this and acknowledging that it's frustrating, but yet he doesn't want to offer a solution to it. It's just, well, we, it's almost, we should just abandon the whole system to go back the way it was. I will say this, the playoff is way better than what we had before with the BCS system. Agreed. Agreed. Like with the Bearcats going, you know, potentially 11 and 0 and we're legitimately in the conversation Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like things are going to break our way. Texas A&M had a game against LSU. They had a game against Auburn. Did they win either decisively or convincingly? Not necessarily. You know, are they are they that much better than us or deserving than us? Not necessarily. But what's happened, Humber, with this season 
to me is why I've never been as passionate of a college football fan, especially being a fan of the University of Cincinnati. The way the system is constructed is is just not to the it's not to see everybody get a shot. That's just not college football. College it's football, it's a brand. The brand is Alabama. The brand is Ohio State. The brand is Notre Dame. The brand is now Clemson. That's what it's constructed to be. You know, the arguments are always, well, how did this team fare against this team? Well, this season, despite the Bearcats, you know, getting in 11 games and hopefully ending up undefeated, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to play those, you know, cross matchups against the sec or the that's that's the thing we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to be able to do that you want to know why because the 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 math says if you go by the analytics that the aac is better than the pac-12 it doesn't really say that yeah like our football conference like the pac-12 is horrific but the pac-12 is not ever getting considered for the playoff either but if us hasn't been over five years but if usc went undefeated this year and they would have you know, if USC goes undefeated, they're in the conversation because they're USC, because they're a brand, because they can draw an audience, because it's the Pac-12. Why? Why is the AAC getting so much so, so much so shit on? I'm just I'm just cursing up a storm here today. I know, uh, well, but here's the thing, Hopper, about the AAC. I I'd love to hype it up. We're a better conference than people realize. Memphis, SMU, Central Florida. These are all teams that are respectable. But even in the last couple of weeks, a lot of results haven't gone the way in terms of pumping up the American athletic. This week, Memphis drops a game to Tulane, 35-21. That's not great for the brand. UCF pulls out a nail-biter over USF, 58-46 the week before. Additionally, we missed this that week. East Carolina beat SMU, yeah, 52-38. That game was 45-7 at halftime. That's not great for the brand. So the American Athletic, you know, despite there being bag breaks across the country in terms of Power 5 conferences, the American Athletic didn't, they didn't do the things we needed to have happen to really pump up our brand either. We needed SMU to be, have as, as many wins as possible. We needed Memphis to be as good as possible. Tulane pulling off victories, East Carolina pulling off victories. That's not great for us either. I mean, I, I know it doesn't really mean a ton in the scheme of things, but it, it, it wasn't great. Look, at the end of the day, look, there's always a subject. There's always been a, a qualitative approach to college football instead of a, a quantitative because it's hard to measure. It truly is hard to measure one team versus another when, you, when you're saying the leagues that they play in because each, each league is just so vastly different. The end of the day, what's what's the like? Why isn't there, or why don't they actually take some sort of quantitative approach to it too? I'm sorry, Clemson, you lost to Notre Dame. You should not be number three. You should not be in consideration when there's a team, Ohio State, behind you at five and zero, a Cincinnati eight and zero, and a Coastal Carolina at ten and zero. I'm sorry, I've. I've I do believe that that should be something that's taken into consideration at Texas A&M at seven and one Florida at eight and one who Florida is Florida or Alabama is going to have one loss this year. It's not the business. One model, going to have friend. two. That so, I mean, it's like, model. I, that's what I'm saying. Business model. That's what's frustrating about this whole program. This is this whole pro this whole playoff. That's where it's just look, open it up to eight teams. Let the, let the one wins fight for the, the those last two spots 
give the the power five conferences or whatever their champion each each a spot two two spots and then a, the at large to a group of five team i love it i mean if they expanded expanded the playoff to eight teams i mean that's perfect i still think we probably are are looking at potentially getting left out at times despite great seasons but it, it's more utilitarian it's more it's more it's of a meritocracy at that at that point but this is why i'm always more of a college basketball fan than football and that especially in in the context of being a cincinnati bearcats fan Look, every year we go into a basketball season, we know if we're a really good team and achieve, you know, ridiculous heights, we can play with anybody in the country. Well, guess what? We're going to have a chance to prove that because there's a 68-team tournament where it's it's one and done, win and move on. You're going to have a chance to go on a magical run and make history as a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. We know we're going to have that shot. Look at the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. We are having a historic season relative to what we've done at any other point in Bearcat history. We saw the same in 2009. Well, look, what's going to happen? Where, where is this going to end? We're going to get a New Year's Six Bowl. It's still going to be a great success. But at the end of the day, despite having probably the greatest Bearcat football team in history, we're not going to have a chance to prove it on the field against the big boys. That is disappointing. It's uh, it's frustrating. It's it's annoying, um, and and what kills me about it the most is like is like I said, when you get guys like Kirk Herbstreit or any of these other talking heads to talk about how the playoff has made the rest of the season non important. Well, stop talking about it being non important and put your put your money where your mouth is and start talking about the solution. I and mean, we all know the solution: expand it to eight teams. That's what's best for the sport. More more teams in the playoffs in this case is not a bad thing. It just means more awesome football at the end of the year. It means you get a one verse eight, you get a two verse seven, you get awesome matchups for four weeks. <laughs> like it's awesome. A whole month of just awesome college football. And I don't like the new year's six bowls get wrapped up into it. Now you are now the, the first round of the playoff. And actually we get to put an S on it. It becomes playoffs. <laughs> i could stop giving you grief about that now i think uh, chris vanini made a great point that the pac-12 the fact that they're not consistently competing to be in the playoff uh the big 12 obviously is having their struggles those things might play into getting an 18 playoff in the future still going to be tough for those you know the g5 programs however the more teams that are that are qualifying the better shot we have i hope we get to that point you're right Kirk Herbstreet, man up and advocate for this. If you know it's wrong, if you know that this the sport is becoming a bit dull in the sense of being predictable before the season even starts, advocate for it. Use your platform to do the right thing. 18 playoff. Let's go. It's a, look, things haven't changed. Everybody wanted to be in the BCS Bowls back in the day. If you weren't making a BCS Bowl, you didn't care. Once you had that second loss, you're kind of like, oh, screw it. Season's over. We're not going to go to – we don't get to travel to Louisiana, New Orleans for a fun weekend. Nope, nope. Oh, we have to go to PapaJohns.com Bowl in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> it's tough. Well, hey, Hammer, look. I know. I'm just, I'm just talking about the – I'm just talking about the, the mechanics of college football and where the, the reward for a good season is vastly different for – for certain certain 
it's a very, very microcosm for almost like the country at large of the haves and haves nots. You know, in this case, the rich get richer here. It doesn't matter. You're Notre yep. Dame. You're not even affiliated with the conference except this year. And all of a sudden, though, you're you're held to a higher regard than say someone who is with the conference. Um, BYU, they're independent. Why aren't they held to the same same standards as as Notre Dame? Speaking what of BYU, because. I know that was, dude, how bad are you as a BYU fan right now? How mad you're like, yeah, man, we get coastal Carolina. We're going to do this. We're going to beat them and we're going to jump Cincinnati and we're going to get ourselves into the playoff. Oh, (laughs) we're going to play anyone, anytime. Carolina. Sure. We'll be there. Hey, coastal Carolina. We dropped 15 points on you. Terrible. It's got to, it's just got to be bad as a, as a BYU fan. Well, anyway, last thing I'm going to mention, Hummer, we're not going to go in deep, but we are going to try and we've been spending more time following and watching the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats women's basketball team. I'll say this. Given the state of mind I'm in right now after losing to Xavier on the men's side, I'm not sure I want to pile on on Bearcats sports right now and how I feel about after watching the Florida game. Bearcats women went down to Florida uh, played them in in hoops, lost, ended up losing 81-58. And I have to I feel somewhat responsible for that final score because early in the fourth quarter, Bearcats cut the lead to 55 to 50. And you know, I sent an innocent tweet out saying, hey, despite turning the ball over a bunch of times, women's bearcats are right in this, have a chance to pull the upset at Florida. Well, the rest of the game. Uh, they scored Florida, two points. Florida, Florida went on to outscore the Bearcats. Looks like 26 to 8. Rough ending for the Bearcats. One thing, Amari Thomas is an absolute monster. Both ends. I mean, she the amount of pressure we seem to put on Amari Thomas to be productive is a bit unfair. She's she's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like her her ability to score, if you leave her open, she's knocking down the shot. She cuts well. She moves the ball well. She sets screens. But here's what I'm noticing. Our team doesn't shoot it well from three at all. And not only do we not shoot it from three, we're not threatening from three. So the offense is operating in such a compact space. It felt like that was the driving cause for why they actually turned the ball over 24 times. I mean, the, the amount of turnovers in the game were rough. It was a rough watch. Couldn't take care of the ball. You know, there were overall, did I say 24 turnovers? I wanted to bring up specifically, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on her, but it was, it was a rough game for more. She finished with nine turnovers herself for the Bearcats to actually be a threat in the American. That's going to have to get cleaned up. I'd be curious to hear, hear what coach Hurd's thoughts are in terms of running an offense. That's so dependent on one player in the middle She's obviously being creative and trying to get her open, get her opportunities, but it's just that there don't seem to be enough threats elsewhere. You know, you see moments of flashes from evident. the Scott twins, but it became evident towards the end of the game, like literally right after you sent that tweet, which is what's hysterical about it, because that is the definition of the Coomer Jinx. Uh, I, I apologize. I'm not gonna. I can't do it anymore. Well, I, I had the opportunity to tune in, and I'm like, oh yeah, this will be this will be good. I'm, I'm watching this and. They scored three points uh, in the the time that I scored time that I watched. They, I mean, it's it became evident the game plan became stop Thomas at the end of the game. Right. 
well, it's, it's pretty much the game plan the entire game. And she has her moments of getting off. She's been incredible through two games. She's a dominant force, one of the best in the country, clearly. Uh, but they're just, there has to be better production from other people on the team if they're going to actually uh, be a real threat. And, and Michelle Clark heard said after the game that, you know, she's still optimistic and bullish about where the team is heading. It's a building block. It's a step for them. Florida's a good team. It's a good program. SEC, I will say that just watching it, their players just look bigger. Like it looked like a size mismatch. We don't have a, the biggest team in the game. So anyway, fun to watch. I recommend tuning in this week. We get a chance at redemption against Xavier. Uh, the Bearcats women's team does play them on this coming Thursday. I'm looking forward to watching that, but we'll talk more about them as the season goes on. Anyway, Hummer, I'm looking forward to a chance at redemption for the men's Bearcats team as well. Furman on Wednesday. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Harvey gets more minutes. Let's see if DeJulius continues his ridiculous play. Let's see let's if there's call any me uh, crazy. Let's see new rotations for Brandon. Who knows? Let me call it. Let me let me just just we'll just throw a prediction out here. Do it. We're going to see everybody play again against Furman. Yes. Do it. Hey, can Mason Madsen get healthy enough so that he can maybe play his first game as a Bearcat? If he is cleared, he will play. Uh, that is my prediction. Furman is not a team at which will, which should be a close game. Hopefully it's not. If it is that, that is actually more telling for how the season is going to be. Uh, at this point, this will be the third game. You would hope that we're starting to get the, the rhythm of the offensive down offense down, uh, and start moving towards seeing, um, you know, do we have a zone offense? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention something real quick here, Hummer. Um, in Ken Palm, we're the 63rd team in the country. Furman is 64. Oh, maybe not then. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take back that prediction? <laughs> no, I they, still think we're getting people involved in the game. They haven't played anybody, but they played Tusculum, USC Upstate, Southern Wesleyan, Charleston. They've blown out all of those teams. So. And they've done so with 95 points, 91 points, 89 points, 81 points. You know, defense is going to have to show up. Don't take it for granted. Ken Palm doesn't lie. Ken Palm is showing Furman as the 64th Ken Palm team in the country. Look out, buddy. All right. That may be true. I'm still seeing everybody getting into this game. I hope so. I hope you're right. Well, let's leave it there, Hummer. We've talked enough. Go Bearcats. I'm optimistic. I feel hopeful, but man, I hate Beep! Xavier. <laughs> Take it easy, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>